If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 13 where we left off last week. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Um, this is one of those messages that I wrestled with uh, a lot. I mean, the Lord really dealt with me um, personally on this, with this message. And so it's a very short message. Um, but I hope that it resonates with you the way that it resonated with me as the Lord had me prepare it. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Hold your spots there. I guess it was probably four or five months ago I heard a story. It's the second time that I'd heard a story similar to this, but this one really gripped me. This, it was about a, a, a man who was hired to be a pastor of a of a very large church here in the United States. And um, very few of the people knew him in the church. His staff was aware of who he was, but, but very few other people had personal encounter with him. And so in order to feel the pulse of the congregation, in order to know the attitudes of the people that he would be shepherding, he decided that for the week prior to him being introduced as the pastor, that he would not shave, that he would not bathe, that he'd go out and he'd grab some clothes, work clothes, and, um, and go to the church as a homeless person in need. And so he showed up on Sunday morning, walked in, scruffy, clothes out of sorts, smelling really, really bad, walked through the commons area, was greeted by no one. No one offered him a cup of coffee. As a matter of fact, parents who were walking their kids to children's ministry kind of took a, a sideways, you know, did the little thing like here, but I'm going to protect my kids. They just, it was almost as if they thought this person didn't belong there, that he was lost. So he continues on. He in, goes into the auditorium, he takes a seat in the, in the general area of the congregation, and people get up and start moving away from him, leaving an area around him um, that, where there was many chairs. And so because this is a red, relatively large church congregation, one of the ushers came up to him and politely asked him to go to another place in the church to sit down, to open up rooms, for people in the preferred section, if you will, which he did. Got up and went to the back of the church. So when it came time for, for him to be announced as the senior pastor of this large church, there was this roarous applause and people were just clapping and they were like, yay, you know. And this man walks down the center of the aisle, dressed in clothes of, that you'd find maybe with a homeless person, smelling, unshaven, and people were wondering what was going on. The applause got lower and lower and lower until he finally made his way up to the podium, and then he spoke. I'm told that what happened was three things. The first thing he did was he called the church to repentance. And he used the passage of scripture where Jesus said, 
I was naked, and you didn't give me anything. You didn't put any, give me any clothes. I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. You didn't even do it to the least of these, my brothers, so you certainly didn't do it to me. And he reminded his congregation of that. And then he called them to repentance. Then he offered them, he gave them an invitation to relationship, deeper relationship with the Father, deeper relationship with each other, deeper relationship to the community that they had been called to. And then he challenged them to be a place of recovery for those who are broken and lost. Um, I thought of that story as I was reading this passage today, uh, or actually as I was preparing over the last week or so, reading this passage. And it reminded, of, reminded me of a statement that someone made um, that's never left me. It was by one of the uh, pastors over at Change Point when I was attending there, Carl Clausen. And here was a statement, lost and broken people matter to Jesus. Lost and broken people matter to Jesus, and they must matter to us. They must matter to us. I decided to, to title this message, Modeling Jesus. Because Jesus models a life for us, and we'll find this in the text today, that compels the lost to pursue authentic and lasting relationship with him, and he wants us to do the same. Yeah. I was challenged by this. You know, our elders have been talking um, and, and actually doing some things, moving in the direction of being able to, to reach out more to the lost. And I'm telling you, I think that the Lord really is challenging us this year to be more intentional to reaching out to the lost around us as well. Our text today provides us with two profiles of the lost. Those that are lost and know it, and those that are lost and don't know it. But either way, the process for reaching people who are lost, to hopefully compel them into more authentic and long-lasting relationship with Jesus is the same. It begins this way, and we find it here in our text. Authentic, lasting relationship that compels the lost and dying to Jesus begins with a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Let's pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 2. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. He was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. The process of authentic relationship begins with repentance. That word again here is a strong indication that as Jesus was walking along the seashore again, that this wasn't the first time that Levi had seen him or had observed him. 
Jesus walks by Levi's tax collector desk. And he, he says to him, I want you to follow me. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I want you to mirror what I'm doing. I want you to walk the same road that I'm walking on. I want you to become one of my disciples. And this was more than an invitation just to say, you know, I, 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 I hope that you would care to follow me or I'd like for you to follow me. No, this word follow is a present tense imperative, which means that Jesus was commanding Levi at that moment. He was saying, listen, I want you to come follow me. You stop what you're doing, drop what you're doing, and come follow me. It was a call to repentance. And Levi answered the call. You know, I think we get this negative connotation of what repentance actually means, but I want to take you back a few weeks ago when I talked to you about the real meaning of repentance and how repentance isn't necessarily, you know, turn and burn. You know, repentance isn't, you know, give your life to Jesus or, or die and go to hell first class in the smoking section. Right? It's, it's not that. Repentance, and, and it is that, right? But even more, repentance is an invitation into deeper relationship. Repentance is, is a calling, a, a, a call for you to turn away from what you know, what you've always done to move towards something greater. When Jesus calls us to repentance, he's saying, listen, what you've done, it might be good, but it's not, it's not my best for you. I've got something in store for you that will, that will blow your mind. But the first thing you got to do is you have to step outside yourself and surrender your will to my will. You have to turn away from what you know and turn towards something better, and that's me. And so that's what Jesus said to Levi. He says, come follow me. It was a call to repent. Levi's life is interesting. In the time of Christ, there were Roman tax collectors. Levi was a tax collector. These people collected taxes for Herod Antipas, who at that point was a tetrarch or the ruler over Galilee. Roman tax collectors were despised. They were, they were dishonest. They intimidated people. They took money by force, often through brutality. Um, and they did whatever they needed to to, protect, to collect taxes for the Roman government. Levi was a tax collector. But Levi was a Jewish tax collector, which made it worse. Because as a Jewish tax collector, he was considered to be a traitor to his people. He was considered to be a liar, an extortioner. There were things that he was no longer allowed to do. He was disowned from his family. Uh, he wasn't allowed to go into the synagogue. He wasn't allowed to testify in court. Jewish tax collectors were considered in the same class as murderers and adulterers and thieves, harlots. Gentile sinners. Levi was a tax collector. Here's what Jesus does. He breaks new ground. 
by going out and calling someone who is despised and loathed by others. And he's saying, listen, I'm giving you an invitation to drop what you're doing and come be with me. And here's what Levi does. He immediately turns. He drops what he's doing and he pursues Jesus. He was lost. And he knew that he was lost. And he wanted the life that Jesus Christ was offering. Lost people matter to Jesus. They should matter to us. So repentance is a step, is the first process to a deeper relationship with the Lord. The second step in the process is an invitation into that relationship. Let's pick it up in verse 15, chapter 2. And he, Jesus, reclined at his table. Now, a little, little side journey on this. You know, there are differences in opinions as to what this is actually saying. Some scholars believe that, that they had met at the house of Jesus, that they had gone back to Jesus' house. And so when it mentions that they reclined at the table in his house, that it was talking about Jesus. Luke says something different. Luke says that they actually went back to Levi's house. It really doesn't matter. What really matters is that they are at dinner. They are reclining at the table at the house. And with them are many tax collectors and sinners, and they were also reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? If we're going to model being like Jesus, the first thing we have to do, family, is we have to be willing to invite people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. We have to invite them into relationship. We have to be willing to do that. This is what Jesus was modeling for us. And, and just as a result of Jesus doing that, just as a result of Jesus inviting Levi to dinner. Levi invites his friends, his other tax collector friends. And the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like it. I told you last week who the scribes and the Pharisees were. Remember I said the Pharisees were the most influential religious party in Palestine. They were deeply involved with keeping the Mosaic law. They were meticulous about maintaining ritualistic traditions and, and ceremonial purity. Their criticism of Jesus was, was because Jesus didn't do what, he wanted, what they wanted him to do. Jesus didn't become a separatist, separating himself from those that they considered unclean. No, instead, Jesus broke with their religious traditions. He broke with their self-righteous behavior. He didn't distinctively separate himself from sinners. He went to them, which was totally opposite of what the religious leaders did. They believed that they were better than the sinners, and so they separated themselves from the sinners. 
I was challenged this week as I studied this. That there have been times in my life where I've become like a modern day Pharisee. There's been times in my life where maybe someone struggling in their relationship with Jesus and and I thought that what I had to offer was better than what they had. There have been times in my life where I thought my religious tradition or my religious ritual made me more spiritual than someone else. And if you would tell the truth, I believe that there are some of you in here too that have found yourself in that same position where someone is going through something or maybe, maybe they're struggling spiritually and, and there's this piety, this, this righteousness, this self-righteousness that rises up to make us think that we're better than someone else. Jesus came to kill that. Jesus came to destroy the gap between those who are seeking relationship and don't know how to find it and those who think that they've got it all figured out. He tore down the middle wall of partition and he leveled the playing field so that anyone that would come into lasting relationship with him would have to come the same way. They have to deny themselves be willing to to rid themselves of self-righteousness and understand that the only righteousness that matters is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He offers that for us in relationship. And the Pharisees had no time for it. They didn't want that. The Pharisees considered others to be sinners. Anyone that didn't abide by their righteous behavior. I found myself in this situation thinking like this. See, the use of the word sinner is is a reference, it's not a reference to an immoral person, but rather it's a technical term that speaks to common and uneducated people. It's a descriptor of those who out of necessity have to work to provide for their families, to put food on their tables and clothes on their children's back, and they don't have the time that the, that the scribes and the Pharisees had to devote to their religious customs and traditions and laws the way that the, they demanded them to. So the Pharisees thought that they were better. And so for this reason, they often considered the common folk lesser than them. They despised them, considered them unclean and outcast, unfit unworthy even to be in their presence. Jesus broke that. Jesus broke that. He broke that in them. And family, I believe the Lord wants to break those same kind of habits and traditions in us. And we have to listen to him if we want to get, if we want to receive God's best for us this year as we reach out to others. I think it's difficult for us in Western society to realize just how scandalous it was for Jesus to associate with these people that the religious rulers considered outcasts. So let me describe to you what was going on here. In Jewish culture, there were two types of meals that would be eaten. There would be an ordinary meal where families would come together, much like how we would come together sitting down at a table, and they would eat a meal together. And then there's a formal meal that would take place where you would have to be invited 
as an outsider to this meal. And in this meal, they would recline on, a, on couches or on a pallet on the floor. And in Jewish society, when you were invited to one of these meals, it was a form of fellowship. It was a, former, a formal meal that represented one of the most intimate expressions of friendship and fellowship. And these religious leaders were saying, how dare Jesus reach out to these people? How dare he eat a meal with these people? But Jesus is not moved by that. Nor should we be. As a matter of fact, Jesus takes it one step further, and it brings me to my final point. Jesus extends an offer of recovery to those who are lost, both the ones that know that they're lost and the ones that don't know that, they lost, that they're lost. Remember I made this statement earlier that lost people matter to Jesus. All lost people matter to Jesus. Those who are lost and know that they are lost and they're willing to humble themselves and receive the grace and forgiveness that's offered by our Savior. And then those who are lost and don't know that they are lost and they're blinded by their own self-righteousness, they see no need to repent. Both, Scripture tells us, are in need of a physician, and Jesus Christ, the chief physician, offers recovery for both. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus makes this statement. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, that, but that all would come to repentance. And here is why, family. And I know, I know that maybe this feels a little heavy. It might feel extremely heavy. But I'm not satisfied with coming to church and everyone in the church is a follower of Jesus Christ and we're not reaching out to the lost. And I believe that that is what the Lord would have us do in 2016 is be very, very intentional to remember that every single person that ever walked the face of this earth, every single person that God brings into our purview, every single person that the Lord will allow us to reach in our sphere of influence matters to Jesus. The question is, will we recognize those who have the need for the Savior, whether they're lost because they're spiritually blind or whether they're lost and they're hungry because they're compelled by what they see in us, and then the Lord gives us an opportunity to point them to himself. 
Jesus says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so my challenge to you today is the same challenge that I've been, have been wrestling with over the last week. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to be okay with sitting in our, in our nice homes and, and in, our, in our real nice church community and really loving on each other and, and experiencing a great inn where we're just really uh, in community and, 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 and that's it, our, us four no more, as they used to say in my family? Are we going to really take on the heart of Jesus Christ this year and recognize that all lost people matter to Jesus? And it's not okay for us to become modern-day Pharisees, being okay that we're saved and on our way to heaven. It is not enough for us this year. And so I know that this feels like a heavy challenge because it is, and I want you to walk away feeling this. It's not enough. God wants more from us this year. Will you be willing to answer the call? Stand with me if you would. Ryan, would you play Jesus all for Jesus? All lost people matter to God. 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 How many lost people matter to God? All lost people. People matter to God. On your job, the people that are around you that you know don't know Jesus because you can tell by the fruit, they matter to God. In your home, your unsaved loved one that maybe you've neglect praying for fervently, they matter to God. That relative that God has laid on your heart, that he spiritually entwined you with, that, that you can't get them off of your mind and, and you've been neglecting to call them. And the Lord is telling you, I, I, I have something that I want to say to them through you. They matter to God. I'm challenging you just as the Lord has challenged me. Don't settle for the fact that you are on your way to heaven this year. Don't do it. There are people that are dying and going to hell every day. And hell is for real. Hell is an eternal place of separation from God. And we have the cure through Jesus Christ. I'm challenged.
challenging you this year to join me, to follow me as I follow Christ. And let's reach out to those that God gives us the opportunity. Let's see the lost come to saving grace in relationship with Jesus this year. What do you say about that? Father, you know I love teaching messages where everyone's happy and excited and jubilant and feeling good when they walk out, but every now and then as a pastor, you have me turn the corner, flip the page. Today is one of those days. And so as Paul has instructed us, 2 Corinthians, I pray that each one of us examine ourselves to see if in any way we are not aligned with your will and purpose for us. To see if there's some complacency in our lives that has kept us from reaching out to those who you called us to. And then, Father, I pray that as blood-bought, bonafide sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, we or of God and heirs and joint heirs with you, Lord Jesus, that we will be bold enough to begin reaching out into our spheres of influence for you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're one of the ones that, that are lost and know that you lost. And today you want to do something about that. Scripture says that today when you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. If you don't know Jesus, now is the time. You don't want to walk out of here without him. If you don't know Jesus right now where you're standing, you can ask him to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. You can surrender your life to his lordship and invite him to take control of your life, and he will right now. You don't have to leave here the same. Father, thank you for this time and this, this challenge that you've issued to me first, and that I've been able to issue to my brothers and sisters whom I love dearly with your love. And may we forever be mindful every second, every minute, every hour of the day that we are bought with a price. That you purchased us by your blood. You reconciled us back to the Father and you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. May we be ever mindful of that in Jesus' name. Amen.